so when Illinois decided they're going to shut down, we decided uh, that, yeah, we're going to just shut the business down. And then obviously everything just kind of fell really quickly. March, everything just happened. The mall closed, we closed. Um, and so we had a lot of momentum from, uh, from last year. Uh, and and it, it was going into this year. So we thought it was going to be a fantastic year. 2020, amazing year, right? Uh, and then when, when the, the uh, pandemic hit, that just, it just went like this, down to just like nothing because we, we shut down. Breaking news tonight, the coronavirus forcing millions more Americans into virtual lockdown. Our country wasn't built to be shut down. This is not a country that was built for this. It was not built to be shut down. America will again and soon be open for business. Uh, very soon. A lot sooner than uh, three or four months. It's There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of, you know, wondering if you're risking your life by going to work. In this episode of Restarting America, I'm excited to interview Chris Lai. Chris is the founder and CEO of MassVR, a virtual reality entertainment experience company. Lai is also the co-founder and co-CEO of SafeSpeed. SafeSpeed is a technology company that employs 55 people. Lai's passion for gaming goes back to his undergraduate days at the University of Illinois as a computer science major, where he raised $1 million to start a gaming company with 20 employees. Alums from his early efforts went on to architect major game titles, including Halo and Deus Ex. Thank you, Chris, for being here today. I'm excited to talk with you. So, Chris, Thank you for having me. To, to start off, will you tell me about yourself? Um, so, I'm a um, first-generation uh, immigrant here. Uh, migrated from uh, Vietnam, uh, so kind of born in the, during the Vietnam War, uh, escaped. Uh, the, you've probably heard of boat people. I'm considered one of those boat people who escape on a boat uh, to America. So uh, you know, it was a definitely a challenging time for my parents. Uh, and uh, you know, growing up here as an immigrant, um, always thought uh, was taught education, but I also thought technology was a kind of a a way to be able to like have upward momentum, right? Um, so it's kind of cl cliche now when you think about, oh yeah, and, you know, Asians and technology, but uh, that was the road that was, was kind of given. And uh, at an early age, I was very interested in robotics and computer science. So how early, how old were you when you came here? Uh, I came here when I was uh, three years old. And were you already doing, like, when did you start doing robotics? Like when do you have your first memories of it? My first memory was very clear. Uh, I was in um, seventh grade and I had a robotics summer camp. And I realized then, uh, yeah, this is amazing. You know, you can, you, can, you can build these things. And so I'm always a big fan of like um, STEM for kids because I know that helped me a lot as far as like the, the interest and trajectory, knowing what's out there and what's possible. Do you remember the first things you built as a seventh grader? Yeah, so we had to build a robotic arm. Uh, there was no kits like they have now. So we literally had to go buy uh, wood, cut it out, get motors, get batteries, and just kind of do everything ad hoc and, and, and be able to control it. Uh, all the gears and everything you had to, you had to go. Uh, Radio Shack was a thing. <laughs> you would actually go to Radio Shack and there's there a bunch of other um, electronic stores you can buy parts and hobby uh, to put this together. So uh, definitely a lot of fun. So tell me about how you started a gaming company. So um, 
I was in college, it's back in um, 1993. Uh, and I realized that, you know, uh, the, the, the 3DO, uh, which is a gaming system, not many people know about it, was, was out. Uh, and there was going to be an announcement of the Sony PlayStation and things like that. And we said, and I thought, you know, gaming is going to be huge. It's going to be bigger than like all the entertainment put together. Uh, I, I grew up during kind of the golden age of, of gaming, right? You went from Pong into Nintendo. And, uh, and, and so um, we, I decided, you know what? There's going to be a huge shift from 2D games into 3D games. Uh, and so we were right around the time we said, you know what? This is a great opportunity. Um, let's get into console gaming with, with, with Sony. You no know, one knew about Sony at the time. Uh, uh, and 3DO had a really accessible license to be able to get the development kit. Uh, so I said, you know, let's build a 3D engine, you know, uh, and make a game uh, out of it. Um, and so at the, at, at the U of I, there was a National Center for Supercomputing. So a lot of very smart people working on a lot of things. So um, I rounded up a lot of talent on campus and said, hey, I'm going to make a game. We're going to make a 3D engine. Uh, and so we, we got together and we made our first kind of working prototype on a Pentium machine. You know, they were, they were just released too. There was no graphics cards. Um, and so everything had to be written uh, down to the assembly level. So I got a really good uh, team together uh, down at U of I and then uh, went and pitched it to some investors. Uh, and uh, I actually went to a friend who's, you know, pretty well off and, and he's like, oh, my parents, uh, have, have a, have a um, advisor, uh, you could talk to him about raising money. So I, I went to him and said, hey, I got this idea, we, we're gonna write this game. Um, you know, here's all the stats on gaming, how it's growing and how it can be really big. Uh, and so he helped me uh, get started and to, to kind of raise the money and, and start development on it. What happened with that game? So, you know, it, there was a lot of excitement because there's only a few companies making 3D engines at the time. And um, uh, we actually got uh, a, a, one of our key investors was, uh, his name was Alan Young. Uh, he was just stepping down from uh, a CEO position from uh, a company called Dolphin Technologies. And so he was kind of looking for something to do and he, he really liked this idea. So he, he became our CEO and, and one of our major in, investors. Uh, and we went to EA, we went to, um, uh, GT Interactive, we pitched it and everybody was really excited. Um, we had an idea of like splitting up the, the territories, US, Europe, and Asia. Uh, and I remember EA saying, yeah, we want to sign you up, but we want all World War rights. We were already sold to Asia and Europe already. Uh, and so it was a little bit of conflict. Um, in the end, what happened was that, uh, this is one of the lessons I learned as a startup is that you got to get a viable product out like immediately. And we went over budget, went over time, even though everybody loved what we're doing, we, we, we took too long to deliver a, a minimum viable product. Uh, and as you know, other games start coming out in 3D. Uh, so they, getting to the market fast is one of the lessons I learned in that company. So then when you left University of Illinois, what was your next step after that company? Um, and so I actually, went, um, I went back to U of I to finish my degree once that company didn't pan out. Uh, great team left on and made amazing titles. Uh, as I mentioned, like Halo and Dusex, a lot of the guys on my team went on and made those games and a couple went over to um, 
uh, LucasArts to do stuff too. Um, I went back, I was, I was one of the youngest members of the team. And so I went back and finished my degree. Uh, I met my wife uh, in college. So I was like coming from a very traditional, she's Korean, coming from a very traditional Asian uh, family. They were basically like, you can't marry her unless you have a college degree. Uh, we don't care how, how much we like you. And so I said, okay, well, I really want to marry this woman. So I went back and finished my, my degree. Uh, and then uh, I worked in uh, manufacturing. And that's where I, I, during my time, I also worked in manufacturing. Um, that's where I learned how to really make physical things uh, from uh, metal to to wood, how to manipulate plastic injection, um, and then also robotics. That was one of my core tasks at, at that company when I was also uh, at school. And then from there, you started SafeSpeed? No, I, I, you know, I did a little, uh, I spent like uh, a little stint at e &Y. Um, So at Ernst Young, um, built systems for insurance companies, modeling rates. If you wonder how they decide what rate you should have and how, they, how much they should lower the rates. Uh, so worked on a system for that, worked on systems for Verizon. Um, and, and so did that for a while and, and I, I, the kind of entrepreneurial bug got to me again and I'm like ah oh, I should really should you know go out and, and do this again uh, and, and that's when uh, I started a consulting firm doing like IT work uh, you know it's kind of easy transition from Ernst Young doing consulting and then kind of doing consulting uh, and so I did a lot of uh, work for the city uh, for hospitals and, and um, even aviation at O'Hare so just a lot of miscellaneous IT projects from mobile computing, even though it was very early in the day, to kind of security um, uh, systems. Uh, and then at some point decided, you know, we wanted to transition into uh, automated full enforcement. We said that we have a lot of the skill sets and technology. We've already built uh, a system that did uh, mobile parking ticketing. So you could, you know, when they go around and issue tickets for, for parking, it was a mobile system that we developed that had to take in all the back end. So it wasn't a huge leap for us to transition from parking tickets to red light tickets. And then, so you built this great consulting company in Doha, the city. Why did you want to leave and do the gaming company? So, you know, we were doing um, the full enforcement uh, for, you know, uh, eight years. Uh, and then one of the things we felt that another area that was lacking was police training. Uh, you know, I was looking at the systems and how they're being trained and I was like, wow, they're basically using the same technology as duck hunt. You know, they're just playing a film and they've got a light gun. And uh, I was like, wow, this is the same stuff I was seeing when I was a kid all the way to now. Nothing's really changed in on law enforcement training. Uh, and so around that time in 2015, Oculus came out with their um, development kits and we're like, this is amazing. We got one. We're like, this is amazing. Like, but this is really how you should be training police officers. Uh, but you couldn't move. You kind of were just sitting or standing and we thought we could probably do better. And so we decided to uh, rent uh, a warehouse and start developing technologies to enable VR where it's completely immersive where you can actually move, you can have multiple people. Um, and um, uh, from there, we're like, you know what? This might take a while for police training to be like really adopted and needed. 
but entertainment is a much lower hanging fruit and it's a huge market. So we decided uh, that, you know, we're going to pivot and spin off this technology into a separate company and really focus on, on entertainment. Why the applications for this technology could be used for a variety of things, including police or, or military training. Uh, it just takes time for all, all those parts to kind of catch up. And so we, 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 we focused, uh, we became mass VR and we focused on, on gaming. And then how long is it taking to build this technology and has it been smooth sailing since? Uh, it's a lot of very long nights. Um, so uh, funny that you say that because I was just clearing off my laptop for space and I found these old footage from three years ago uh, of us just kind of testing the system when we first had our first generation system out. So we, we spent all of uh, 16, 17 uh, really doing R&D and we were able to get our first uh, kind of working prototype uh, in 17, it's our first generation, um, and, and now we're on our second generation, and that's what we see over at um, Old Orchard Mall, because uh, it was like, hey, let's see how the consumers like it, not just, you know, a little warehouse uh, for R&D, uh, and, and we're keep constantly evolving, and I think that's one of the things about these VR. Uh, I, a lot of people say, well, why do you keep making new generations? I'm like, it's kind of like mobile when the iPhone first came out, from the first iPhone to the second one to the third one, there's huge leaps and bounds as far as like obvious things, the resolution, internet, apps, like those are huge. Very similar with VR. There's so, there's every, every uh, 18 months, there's a huge leap in technology and what you can do. And so we're, we're constantly pushing the envelope. What are some of the things you could do with your, your technology? Well, our, our big thing is, um, large-scale simulation, right? You have VR at home and that's getting better and the equipment's getting better for at home. Um, and one of the problems we solve is motion sickness, right? So it's great, most VR games, everything comes to you, right? So you're not moving, it's great. But with, if you're playing a real game, you have to be able to like venture out and do things, you have to move. And that's where it starts kind of showing its limitation at home. Uh, most people get sick. Right, you move with a joystick or you teleport, you kind of break immersion. Um, and so what we do is we do large scale VR where you can actually move freely. And that actually means giving people a lot of space. Now you can't give them infinite space. And so what we've been able to figure out is how to take um, a fairly large space, you know, uh, anywhere between 5,000 to 8,000 square feet and make that feel bigger. Uh, by reorientating people, by um, offsetting people, um, they feel like they never ever run to the end of a wall, the physical wall, because we're constantly kind of making the walk in circles. Um, but to them, they feel like they're traversing long stretches of, of land. And so that's our big thing, right? And so any type of simulation that you want to do, um, gaming is one, obviously, but if you're doing uh, law enforcement, one of the big things about law enforcement is um, when they're training them, they just drop them into the scenario versus, and that's not very realistic, versus building up to the scenario, right? Um, right now, when it trains an officer, it's like, oh, there's a, there, there's, here's, a, here's a victim, here's the perpetrator, uh, he's got a knife at the, at the person's throat. Well, you know, 
you're not that doesn't happen in real life they have you know in real life you're, you're walking up to the building you're entering the door you know and then then you turn around and you see this happening um so there's there's, there's a lot of body movement in, in in that we want to bring into simulation right um obviously the obvious one is like swat teams for for military how they can coordinate um and their movement um and the great thing about being vr is that you know you see these trainings they train in these facilities, the physical facilities. And uh, I think that's still great training, but you can train more often in VR because you don't have to have physical walls. You can create all different scenarios um, very quickly and very efficiently. So you mentioned you're at Old Orchard Mall and you're having 5,000, 8,000 square feet. How do you have that much space in Old Orchard Mall? So uh, the, the interesting thing is we had all these uh, exodus of big box retail. Uh, so where we're located used to be the Lord Taylor um, uh, store, and that's a huge store. <laughs> uh, and so a lot of people are like, this is a great use to repurpose these big box retails that are going out uh, for us to be able to go in there. So we actually have more space than we need. We, we, just, we have four arenas that we've carved out of the, out of the space from the, what, used to be, uh, what used to be Lord and Taylor. And if people are getting good feedback to when they see that's the old Lauren Taylor store and like, wow, what, I, this is, this is crazy. This is interesting. I've never imagined something like this. Yeah. I think, um, there was, when we approached the malls, uh, approached several, they all really liked the idea because, um, obviously it's a lot of space that sits empty and it's just kind of a drag on the mall when you have a big empty space. So to be able to re-energize the space, uh, it's very novel. Uh, I believe we're the only ones who've ever really done that, where we're taking a whole department store and converted into a VR um, facility. Um, it's been well received by people. People really enjoy it. Um, the you know last year we had thirty over thirty thousand people come and play, and we didn't have anybody get motion sickness, and we're very proud of that. And then do you have a steady flow of people immediately out the gate, or tell me about this launching uh, Mass VR at Old Orchard? Yeah, so, you know, that's a, it's a new, that's one of the big challenges. When you're releasing something new, um, you have to educate people. People don't know what it is. They're just like, what's going on? What's happening? Um, and so there's a whole marketing aspect uh, that, that, that goes along with it. As a technologist, you think you, you build it and they'll come. That's not the case. You have to build it and then you have to educate people on the value it brings, right? Because you're, we, in this case, we're fighting uh, against all entertainment, right? We're fighting for the dollars of your discretionary income for, to be entertained. So if you're not going to spend money, if you're going to spend money at Mass VR, you're probably not going to spend money somewhere else because that's your time for the weekend or time, extra time that you have. Uh, so that, you have, that's one of the things that we realized is that we have to be able to kind of educate people on what this is and, 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 and you know, why they should be coming here versus somewhere else. And then, um, so we're, we're talking today because uh, we want to understand how people are impacted by COVID-19. So will you tell me how, what it was like to be in a, in a mall during uh, the, this pandemic? Yeah, well, um, when the pandemic, we've been hearing about it, you know, happening overseas and, you know, and we were, we were very worried, like, okay, well, what's going to happen here? It's in the U.S. now, but the numbers were low. Um, and so we were kind of bracing for the fact that this might like blow up. Uh, so when Illinois decided they're going to shut down, we decided, 
uh, that, yeah, we're going to just shut the business down. And then obviously everything just kind of fell really quickly. March, everything just happened. The mall closed, we closed. Um, and so we had a lot of momentum from, uh, from last year. Uh, and and it, it was going into this year. So we thought it was going to be a fantastic year. 2020, amazing year, right? Uh, and then when, when the, the uh, pandemic hit, that just, it just went like this, the answer is just like nothing because we, we shut down. Um, what, what was that like? I mean, what, what did your team do during that period then? So, you know, it, it's interesting in that uh, we have two sides. We have the development side and we have the operational side, right? The operational side actually just, they had no choice but to shut down. Uh, and so we furloughed everybody on the operational side. Uh, we tried to support them as much as possible by giving them all their sick leaves and we gave them the extended uh, uh, paid sick leaves. Um, for the development side, uh, fortunately, we all were able to keep very busy. We said, okay, well, we're not being bothered by customers and feedback and changes to this. Let's focus on the third generation system that we've been building. So we just kind of carved it all the time and start really focusing on, on building our next generation uh, system. And um, that's what we spent most of the, um, the, the time building. What is the third generation system like? Uh, so definitely um, not to share too much, but you know, there's things in VR, obviously you want it to be uh, more immersive, to have more, more haptic, you want it to be, have high resolution, you, you know, you want better graphics, uh, so uh, better, uh, better tracking. So every aspect of the, that we learned over the year, we said, okay, well, what can we improve upon the system? What would people want? What matters the most? Um, and, and we really focused on that. So it's not just the, 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 the hardware that we're changing, but also the, the features in the, in the game, uh, allowing people to uh, interact more uh, with each other. And how has it been being able to get your team, your development team working um, productively during this period? Has it been easy? Um, you know, we, we were very careful. A lot, uh, a lot of it is uh, software-based, but some of it's hardware-based. And so we took turns as far as who would go into the office to be able to like do any testing to make sure that we were spaced apart from each other. Um, you know, we, we all take uh, the pandemic very seriously from the beginning. Um, like I said, we, we closed down before the mall even closed down. Uh, we, we saw that this was going to be a real issue. But um, a lot of what we do uh, is collaborative online. Uh, so any of the software stuff, any of the hardware design uh, we're able to do is just the testing part is a little hard, right? You, you have, to have to go into a facility to do some of the testing. How has it been working with the, the mall during this period? I, the mall has been um, amazing as far as the, you know, what they're doing for their tenants. Uh, you know, they basically, during the closure, they waived the, the, the rent uh, and, and now that it's opened back up again, you know, they've been very accommodating in, in all this. So um, mall's been great uh, to us um, as tenants. I know uh, for a lot of people, that's a big thing, like they still had to pay rent. And that was nice that we didn't have to worry about the rent and, and we could just focus on our, our employees and focus on development. So if you can go back to January, knowing what you know now about the world, would you do anything differently? 
Um, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think there are obviously small things I would be doing differently, some things personal and, 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 and things like that. Um, I think we have a plan. Um, our, what we see is that this whole pandemic will eventually pass, right? This is not forever. Uh, definitely we'll be impacted. Uh, you know, I think uh, we're gonna be a lot more conscious. If this ever happens again, we're gonna be much more prepared. Uh, but at some point, some normalcy is will come back. We see it already, even though we don't have a vaccine, even though we don't have uh, a treatment for it yet. But uh, people are already being are changing and, and are willing to accept uh, a little bit more risk, and 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 they're much more careful. Uh, so our de our development of this um, hasn't changed too much because we know at some point um, this. Two shall pass, and you know people will get back. Uh, it's kind of like any type of entertainment. We will start making movies. We will start playing sports again. We will have concerts eventually. Like all those things will return. Um, and so preparing for that was 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 good. One of the things that we we didn't do, which we were very fortunate when we saw some of our competitors do, was that we weren't in a rush to expand. Uh, where and that was you know kind of a blessing. Right, we focus on development more than expansion. Uh, if we were to have expanded, which was something an idea, uh, we would be in a lot more trouble. You know, we would have a lot more locations out there that we would have to close down the doors and stuff like that. So you know, it, it's interesting how it played out. Um, so not much would change as far as our the big picture. Definitely, a lot of small things um, would be impacted. So what, what are your thoughts then for the next month or quarter of year for MassVR? Um, I think for, for MassVR, we have made a big shift. Um, people want to be safe. People want to be, still be entertained. And we're trying to achieve both, both those things. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're putting things in place that we can do that. Um, and, and so that's because one of the things I talk to people is that when you're in quarantine and you were definitely sheltered in place, every day became kind of uh, kind of a, a routine and, and it's nice to get out, break out of the routine and do something. And, and so it, uh, we want to be able to have that place, a safe place for people to be able to kind of break out of their everyday routine, enjoy something um, new. VR lets you step into new worlds. So it's like definitely not the same uh, thing anymore. Um, so that's kind of what we're focusing on is how can we uh, achieve that? Um, we're also looking at um, you know, building more content during this time. So we're trying to make the most of our time by preparing for the future. What do you think is going to be most important for your business and other businesses going forward then? I think that, um, you know, kind of managing the shift and uh, the 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 roadmap. I think the you know the government's done some good things as far as the, the PPP. Uh, that's definitely helped us uh, quite a bit. Uh, we we received it and that helped keep a lot of the uh, employees and employed and working through this time as we as we're not the store is not open. Um, you know, addressing the that shift is going to be really important to 
to for for some companies. For some, it changes completely, right? Um, we're definitely looking at things that um, allow people to participate in VR, but not actually be the participants. We always had a spectating portion in our in our in our plan. When you play VR, we want people to watch VR. So like esports was a big part of our um, formula. Uh, but I think now we're going to figure out more how can we get that so that people don't actually have to come to facility to actually enjoy the, the, the VR portion of it. They can be spectating from home, uh, watching their friends or watching competitive play uh, at our facilities. Uh, how, do you, so, how do you imagine they're going to be spectating? Um, the streaming, um, uh, you know, so, so production of the stream is going to be really important. Uh, we, you know, we, we had, we, during last year, we, we did um, have a, a channel on Twitch that we streamed some of the, the, the games. We had a tournament going on to see how that would play out. So we experimented a little bit in that. And I think we're going to definitely um, uh, put more focus onto that because of the kind of the pandemic and, and if, if this was to ever happen again, you know, not all of our revenue would be based off of just ticket sales and, and like um, people gathering uh, that we can um, produce content outside of that. So just factoring other, other revenue streams besides the, the ones that can be heavily impacted by um, the, you know, a, another um, uh, pandemic. So um, on top of COVID-19, we're seeing this almost dual issues going on in America where there's um, a lot of racism at the center stage. And uh, as, an Amer as an Asian American man, um, I'm wondering how this is impacting you and possibly your business. Uh, hasn't impacted our business much. It's, you know, we, being a minority, we definitely promote um, a diverse group at both companies, at, at SafeSpeed and at, at, at MassVR. Um, in some ways, I look around um, and we have a vast amount of, of um, minorities at both companies. Um, and so it's really important. Uh, it hasn't impacted as far as like um, people coming in. Uh, one observation that I've, we made very early on um, was that the amount of people coming in uh, as far as the, there were more minorities coming into our location than the demographics of the area. So we were, we were seeing a lot of people travel from, uh, from different places uh, to be entertained. And I, I thought that was interesting. Um, but from, a, you know, from what's happening with the movement, I definitely think it's building awareness is um, very healthy. Uh, it, it's something that we were faced with in the country. Um, and, you know, I've experienced um, some racial bias through, throughout my life, um, not at the detriment of ever having a police pull me over um, and, and, and have used excessive force. Uh, but I can say that there is a lot of, uh, a lot of bias. And, um, you know, I, I wish for my, my sons as they grow up that they will live in a different time period than the ones growing up. I hope so too. And uh, we'll, we'll see what, see how it goes. Um, so some last words, uh, I'm wondering, uh, what do you want to take away from this 
from this pandemic five years from now? I would like to see us be learn those same lessons that we learned in Asia. Uh, you know, we, we, we commend South Korea on how they handled the, the, this pandemic. Uh, they were ready. Uh, and because they had the lessons learned when they were hit with SARS. Uh, and so I hope five years from now, uh, if there was another pandemic, we are much more prepared and we're able to keep the numbers low and handle it uh, as well as some of the other countries have done. That's great. Um, so uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Uh, it was really great to talk to you. And um, I know other people will enjoy hearing this conversation. So thank you, Chris, for being here and Restarting America. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Restarting America. Make sure to subscribe in your podcast app and visit restarting-america.com for more episodes like this one. Restarting America is produced by 97Switch.